Welcome back to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Today's guest is Urbana Mayor Diane Marlin. Good afternoon, Diane. Good afternoon. I know when I was a child attending Yankee Ridge Elementary School, I never thought one day I'll be interviewing the mayor of Urbana in my craft room for a podcast. Did you ever think one day you'd be mayor? No. No, I have to, some days I sit there in my, at my desk and say, wow, I cannot believe I'm here. Most days I know I'm there, but it is not something as a, as a kid or even a young woman, I stood around thinking I'm going to be mayor someday. And now that you've been in Urbana, well, you came as an Illinois student in 1971 and you joined Students for Environmental Concerns. 48 years later, you're still talking about environmental issues. How do you feel Urbana's innovative in this field? 48 years? I know. I'm sorry to do that. Did I do that, Matt? Right. Thanks, Elizabeth. Yeah, you did. Well, it's not surprising we're still in this field because now more than ever, environmental issues should be the top of everyone's concern. So Urbana's always been a leader in that, which is why, you know, I came to campus as a freshman. I lived in Lincoln Avenue Residence Hall. Every apartment I had after that was in Urbana, and I have not lived in any other city since then. So Urbana's been a leader in um, efforts in recycling. We were the first to do curbside pickup. Um, Many of the policies and programs that are in place today had their roots in the things we were doing on campus in the 70s. The bike network, the recycling efforts, the efforts to get away from using coal as a resource, uh, and every issue related to water. So we saved a lot of rivers back then. We're saving the Middle Fork again now. And I just finished up a six-month term on the Muhammad Aquifer Task Force making recommendations to the Illinois General Assembly. So environmental issues remain at the forefront. And then, of course, on the world level, we're looking at climate change and dealing with the effects of that. So it remains a very, very high priority. Don't you wish that nationally they could take a page from the Urbana playbook on environmental concerns? I think they should take a page from the municipalities playbook. Cities and mayors and city councils and people in general, I believe, recognize the the crisis that we're facing. It's, It's getting our leadership at this point on board with that. But but cities have led the way in innovation and trying new programs since the beginning. I'm glad you brought up the city council because before you were mayor, you were on the Urbana City Council, would have learned from my research, a landlord. You said that what inspired you to run for city council was some of the issues you faced as a landlord. How and when did that begin? We moved to South Urbana in the early 2000s, and at that time, there were two big issues. On the west side of our neighborhood, the university was proposing to redevelop Orchard Downs, and on the east side of our neighborhood, there was a real there were some real issues with um, a few landlords who were not maintaining or managing their properties. And at that time, Southeast Urbana didn't have a neighborhood association like other parts of the city, and um, several people and I decided we should form a neighborhood association to give ourselves and the residents a voice. And so we formed the Southeast Urbana Neighborhood Association. And I have to say, you know, I got my basic training in Students for Environmental Concerns and then uh, co-op nursery school and then the school system. So at that point in our lives when we were forming the Neighborhood Association, we, we knew how to do it. And it was really useful in addressing the um, neighborhood issues and that led me to much more direct contact with many city staff and learning about the issues. And when Council Member Lynn Barnes decided not to run again, other people encouraged me to try it. And like I said, I had never really considered a 
up until that point doing it, but then I thought, well, why not? I can do this, and I have a lot to offer, and I did. What year was that? I ran uh, first elected in 2009 and had two opponents in that election and then was reelected in 2013. Now, you earned your master's degree in food and nutrition from the U of I and was a registered dietitian for many years. You're interested in how cities can support health and wellness. Tell me about your passion for fresh food that's accessible, for affordable, and for everyone. You know, it's basic to life, and um, it's so important for people to have access to healthy food. Uh, One of the things we did when I was on city council is I worked very closely with the Learman Neighborhood Action Committee, and they wanted to start a community garden. So we helped build a community garden in 2012. The city rented the land for $1 a year to the group. And um, with the very generous support of many people in the community, we built a community garden. And it's still going strong seven years later. And the idea behind it was to um, grow vegetables, and most of them were given away to people in the neighborhood, whoever wanted them. And now people come and rent plots there and grow food. And it's been a wonderful community resource. And so that, you know, those sorts of things can promote health and wellness. And you grow more than gar- vegetables in a garden. You really grow a community, and a community has grown up around that. Along that same vein, you help the city sign up to be a Let's Move partner, and you want Urbana to be a walkable, bikeable, people-friendly community, which it really is, but there's no funding associated with it. How can we change that? This country is more obese than ever. Well, there was no funding from the city associated with Let's Move, so it was we did it all on a voluntary basis, and we used Michelle Obama's program as an inspiration for the things we did around fresh food and, and exercise. But we are a gold-level bicycle-friendly community. We do, the city does invest um, resources into that, and we're very proud of that designation. So, so we do invest in infrastructure, sidewalks, bicycle um, network. Every street in the city is also a bicycle street, a street for bicycling. So we, we do invest in that. One thing I do miss about living in Urbana now that I'm champagne transplant are the trees and biking along in the fall and the beautiful, I mean, the old neighborhoods. Well, we were one of the first tree cities in the state and we um, have been one every ever since. And we, you know, invest a fair amount amount of resources, time, and effort into maintaining our canopy. It's been difficult in the last few years with the emerald ash borer, um, before that with the other types of diseases that have come through, but we, we are systematically replacing trees lost to that. And we'll continue. It's it's very important. Our green, and it's part of our infrastructure. People sometimes don't think about our um, infrastructure, including the living infrastructure, but trees make such a huge difference in um, the quality of life in our neighborhoods and, you know, mitigating the effects of um, temperatures and all that. And so it's, it's absolutely something we have to invest in. Full disclosure, I'm a huge fan of Interim Police Chief Bryant Serafin. Personally, professionally, for several years, the Urbana Police Department has reviewed racial disparities and traffic stops. What type of information came out of the task force? What kind of data? It's been a really um, a learning experience for all of us. It's forced us to look at some of our policies and programs and practices. We have modified some. One of the major findings was that a lot of the traffic stops are also related to geography. You know, where the police are, more often you may see more traffic stops. So we're making systematic efforts to be more fair in the stops in terms of where they take place. We've also started a program. One thing that came out of the uh, report is that 
roughly, I think, 20 to 25 percent of the stops were related to an equipment failure, like a headlight missing. Now, it shouldn't be a traumatic experience for somebody, but for many people, being stopped by policemen, even to have a, you know, to be told you've got an equipment problem is is um, difficult. So we began a program where if they're stopped for a headlight being out and there's no other violation, we'll give them a voucher. They can take it to Advance Auto and get their headlight repaired for free. So we've had tremendous success with that. And on the long run, that should reduce the number of traffic stops. But we're also looking at, you know, where they're taking place and why. And uh, we have had been able to decrease the disparity ratio over the years. And we'll continue to work on that. Recently, the Urbana Police Department was brought in to oversee a fight at Urbana High School. I'm a proud alma mater of that high school. I know that the Urbana City Council and your office provides oversight to the police department. How do you do that in terms of the high school? What's the link there? Well, there's a very close link between our school district and the city. You know, our city won't be strong without people having confidence in our schools. And we have a terrific public school system. And um, the city of Urbana over the past several couple of decades, I guess, has paid for a half-time school resource officer to serve in the Urbana schools. After the incidents last fall and earlier this spring, we worked very closely with the district and for the, you know, through the end of the year, we're going to increase the presence of the um, police officer in the school to one full-time officer and we'll continue to pay for a little over half and the school district will pick up the cost. But all through the, you know, all during the past year, I've been in touch with school board members, teachers, parents. I've attended the town halls, um, both superintendents, and we will do whatever we can to support the district. It's a tremendous resource in our community, and we do need to work together. I love to see what's happened in downtown Urbana. It's really developed. You took a survey to talk about what people want in the Lincoln Square area. What did you find out? Well, interestingly, we're going to um, be sharing the results of that survey for the first time on Tuesday. February 26th at a meeting at Lincoln Square. We had over 1,600 responses, and it, what we found, well, I could talk about it for about 10 hours, but but some of the things that came out is over half the respondents were under the age of 40. So they were between the age of 20 and 40, which was a great age group to focus on because those folks are going to be living with Lincoln Square for the next 50 years. People have been thinking a lot about the site. And it's not just about the mall, it's the entire 16-acre site in our downtown. So one of the first things that has come out of that survey is we're starting to get people to think about the entire 16-acre site. So that includes the hotel, it includes the shopping mall known as Lincoln Square, and then it includes about eight acres of surface parking, which the city owns. People have asked us, well, why is the city getting involved in this? You don't own the mall. And we say, well, we we are one of the three major stakeholders in that site, and we have a responsibility to think about what that site is going to look like in the next 25 to 50 years. So people told us they wanted it to be more of a destination. They go there now for the farmer's market and for grocery shopping. Those are the top two things they do at Common Ground Food Co-op and the farmer's market. Um, They'd like more retail. They would love it to have some more family-friendly activities. It's never going to be, the mall itself is never going to be the powerhouse retail center that it was when when I came to school. You could buy everything you needed 
located at Lincoln Square Mall, and Carson Peary Scott was the anchor. Well, you know, it's not going to be what it was. So um, it needs a different mix of activities, and it needs to be a destination. And people also would like more housing downtown. They would like more, as I said, family-friendly activities, entertainment. We're going to be looking at a mix of of what the possibilities are. But the first step, I thought, was to ask the community what they wanted to see and do there. Um, When you think about it, the mall was built in 1964, so that's going on 50 years, and it served us well. And people back then had a vision for what they thought it needed to be, and it's time for us to develop a vision for the next 50 years. So that's what's behind this. So the what's in your square visioning process actually has yielded a great deal of information and that's going to inform the planning steps that come next. There's been an interesting evolution from the Pines to Sunny Crest to out on High Cross Road. Is there something you would really like to see develop in any of those three locations? In the Sunny Crest area, uh, Philo Road has has morphed from being a um, you know a state route in a regional shopping to neighborhood focused and neighborhood based shops. So we'd like to continue to see that develop. The Pines the same way. It's a great um, retail office location in Southeast Urbana. And then we still you know Menards still owns over 300 acres on High Cross Road and has for years, we'd like to see that develop as well. I think Riggs, you know, having Riggs Brewery out on uh, High Cross Road has been a great addition. I'd love to see more businesses like that. And then at the end of the Kickapoo Rail Trail, which is, you know, at the corner of uh, University and High Cross, I'd love to see a restaurant that people could use before they hit the trail. People ride their bikes out to St. Joe now to the wheelhouse, which is delicious, but it'd be nice to have something on our end to attract folks from St. Joe coming back. So so there's a lot of opportunity. You have said you love Meadowbrook Park and the Arboretum, Cranert, the Idea Garden, Japan House during cherry blossom time. When you travel and you meet people and other mayors or just random people, where do you start when you tout all that Urbana has to offer? You know, if people know about Urbana-Champagne, it's because of the University of Illinois. And no matter where you go in the world, you run into either alums of the university or people who have been there or know of it. So that's always, that's that's the beginning of the conversation. And, and we sometimes, I think, living here in Urbana-Champaign, um, we sometimes forget to celebrate all that the university has done for the world. And one of the things I'm looking at, our branding and identity, developing a branding and identity message for the city is to really focus on the way that the the creativity in Urbana has changed the world. And that's that's part of our identity, as well as our public service role as the county seat. We overlook the fact that people come to Urbana to do the business of their lives. And whenever someone says, well, Urbana's always been not friendly to business, which is not true. But I also point out that, you know, we do the business of your lives here in Urbana with through the county courthouse, county clerk, circuit clerk. You get born, you die, you divorce, you get married, you buy a house, you sell a house. Any transaction in your life, it gets recorded in Urbana. And much of our identity centers around our public service role there. That's perfect dovetail into while Urbana tends to lean left, there are plenty of people who live in Urbana who are Republicans and lean right. How do you govern for all you can, your constituents with that in mind? Well, luckily, most of what you do as a mayor doesn't really have a partisan 
um, bent to it. You know, you, you've got to keep the streets in decent shape. And yes, I know this is pothole season and we're working on it. Public safety is a priority no matter who you are. You want to be able to depend on the top-notch police and fire department when you call for help. We need to have programs and services that that benefit all people. So I can't think of any issue that really you would have to approach from a partisan standpoint. And if you do, then I don't think you're governing for all the people. I don't like to put you on the spot, but I have to ask, of the current group of declared Democrats for president in 2020, do you have a favorite? Not yet. I'm still doing my research. Okay, that's fair enough. And I just want to point out that at this point in the interview, I don't want to ask you about the hotel, about <laughs> unless, <laughs> Jumers, unless you want to talk about it. Not yet. Well, let me say, I have spent a great deal of time on this hotel since I took office 22 months ago because many very reputable developers or hoteliers have come to Urbana. They they are interested in the hotel because of its location. There's no doubt in my mind this is a great location for a, a hotel. But um, remarkably, it's very consistent. They'll come, they'll talk to the city, we'll give them a tour of the downtown, they'll bring in their architects or their contractors, they'll go through the hotel, they'll come back and say it's a 15 to $20 million gut job. And then they start to work the numbers. And that's where, to this point, it has hasn't penciled out. It's it's the cost of renovating the building to meet today's traveling standards. So that's where we are. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, there's a whole lot of other things we can do in that area. And we are. I always ask my guests if there's something that annoys them. What I want to know from you, does it annoy you when people compare Champagne and Urbana? Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? I'm always quick. It always is an opportunity for me to point out, okay, we're half the size. I don't know if annoying is the right word, but we have such a we have such an educated, well-traveled population, which is one of the great things about Urbana. But people travel all over the world. They visit very, very large cities. And then they'll come back and say, well, why don't we do what we're doing, what they're doing in Paris or in Copenhagen or Portland or even New York City? It's great to set your goals very high, but you have to remember we're a city of about 42,000 people. So it's not annoying. It's just it's we have to make sure we understand who we are and what budget we're working with and how we can make the most of what we have. But it's always good to be inspired by what you see elsewhere. You once said you wish city council could participate in an orientation session for new council members. You wanted a tour of the facilities to meet department heads, etc. Have you had a chance to implement any of that? I hope to have something in place by the time the next city council elections are held, which is in spring of 2021. I really do believe that that orientation uh, would have been helpful. We really didn't get as council members. And I started it sort of practice version with Sharice Hersey when I appointed her about a month ago. Ago, we we were able to provide her, an, I think, a better orientation than any of the other council members were able to receive as a group. So yes, I want to do that. I've got a long list of things I still need to do. So one more question before I let you go. I read an interview where you said you and your husband watch Stranger Things. My husband won't watch it with me, and it totally freaks me out. So would it be awkward if I came over and watched it with you and your well, husband? Well, I don't watch it anymore. You gave years. up on it? Yeah, yeah. Well, then we'll have to find something else that I can just be awkward and crash your and John's weekends for. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for listening to I Have to Ask with Elizabeth Hess. Urbana Mayor Diane Marlin, thank you so much for joining me today. 